Welcome to the Trail Less Traveled. Missoula is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and read more about this week's show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Mandela. This evening, The Trail Less Traveled is being recorded under snow-capped mountains. We are here in Montana, and I am sitting in a little cottage. And, you know, when I first thought of interviewing today's guest, I imagine it being on the Grand Canyon. But we just didn't have time when we were on the river together last in 2020. I'm sitting with Dawn Kish. She is a filmmaker, photographer, river guide, and model who enjoys wearing catsuits. Dawn, D. Kish, has guided whitewater in Grand Canyon since 1998. She is on her way to Salt Lake City to continue the screening tour of her most recent film, Tad's Emerging World. She most recently participated and introduced her film at the Banff Mountain Film Festival, and it is her second film to be featured there. Dawn, I just want to say thanks for making the time and energy to join me on The Trail Less Traveled. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. My first question for you is, where did you grow up, and how was adventure a part of your childhood? (laughs) Adventure was not a part of my childhood at all. In fact, I did not camp until 1994. So my whole childhood, I have never even slept out under the stars. In 1994, I put a backpack full of stuff that I probably didn't even need and hiked down the Tanner Trail to get on a river trip down Grand Canyon. That was my first introduction to the outdoors. Yeah. Crazy, huh? So my first camping experience was in the bottom of the Grand Canyon on a private trip in, in 1994. I'm dating myself, yeah. Woohoo! I'm old. <laughs> but yeah, I had no experience. My mother was a working mom, of single mom of me and my sis, so two kids and... We didn't have very many opportunities. In fact, we were on welfare, very low on totem pole. And just, yeah, my mom was working all the time. I think sometimes even Saturdays she would work. And so Sundays were her only time off. And of course, that was the last thing she thought about doing. She just wanted to rest. And she made us go to church. Ah! (laughs) On her day of rest, she made us do stuff that we didn't want to do. Except there was donuts there. That was good. Got donuts at church. That was fun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't have a childhood full of adventures like other people have. And in fact, my mom finally went on a river trip and when she was like around 60 years old. And that was the first time that she ever slept on the ground in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, too. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make a living as an artist. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was going to be doing in that part of my life. I think I was soul searching. I knew I wanted to do art, 
of some sort. I was a photographer then. I was an artist then. I did illustrations for magazines, but I also did photography for magazines at that time. I was slowly getting into my career as a photographer, as a full-time photographer, but not quite. I started off as an artist, like a, a painter, and actually did some snowboard graphics and worked for snowboarding magazines, doing illustrations and photography, and then had no idea that I was going to become a photographer. Like, that wasn't part of my my mindset at the time, but I, I realized I was better at photography than I was selling my paintings. So I just started storytelling with my photography and that became just the life I wanted to be leading, the high that I wanted to have of, of where I wanted to be going, but I never made any money. <laughs> so I was, I was always doing other things besides that. I was catering and um, bartending and then river guiding. I started river guiding after my first Grand Canyon trip in 1994, I started rowing boats kind of intermittently throughout those years. And I got my first Grand Canyon boat in 1998, a full trip. And prior to that, I had, you know, just a half trip under my belt, but then finally got my, my full trip down Grand Canyon and I made it. <laughs> I made it unscathed. <laughs> Thank God. But yeah, I just um, became a river guide slowly, not like they do today. I had to work my way free. Uh, all my paychecks were uh, zero <laughs> until, you know, I made my way up the chain. And I didn't mind because it was the most beautiful place on earth that I can imagine being there and, and doing my photography there and learning about the environment. So in 1998, got my first boat. I did some commercial trips to get experience. And then about two years into my career my boating career, I became a boatman for the USGS, which is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be a guide, but I didn't want to be commercial guiding. And then because I was so interested in science. So I started doing science trips, only rowing though. I never did the ones with the motorboats because all I wanted to do was row and take photos. And then these science trips, I, that's what I could do. So I took pictures of science. And I told their story. And that's what I that's what I loved. I loved telling stories about, you know, why the fish were endangered or what they were doing to track the fish or why the sediment was not there on the beaches or, you know, and and what caused that because of the dam, right? And Glen Canyon Dam caused a lot of havoc in our lives. <laughs> but also gave me a job because <laughs> I don't know if I'd have it actually, to be honest, without the dam, because there's a lot of science programs, what the dam actually caused. That's why we were down there. So there you go. I got a career <laughs> based off that.
That's the voice of Don Kish, and you're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, recording under the snow-capped mountains. And the last time that Don and I were on the river together was uh, back in 2020. We were down there right when the COVID pandemic was unfolding. Yes, I think it was uh, March. Yes, March. And um, I remember when folks hiked in to the Colorado River and the Bright Angel Trail, some were pretty distraught. And the news that was brought in about the toilet paper shortage, it was a really interesting time to be on the river with you. So stoked to be with you here in Montana. Yeah, this is a, this is special. Dee Kish has guided Whitewater in Grand Canyon since 1998. And right now she's on her way to Salt Lake City. She's continuing her film tour with her most recent film, Tad's Emerging World. Dawn, you just came from Banff where you introduced your film and screened it. And tomorrow you drive to Salt Lake City. Please tell us the adventure of Tad's emerging world, his story, and the adventure of making this phenomenal film that I just watched right before we recorded this. I could just feel my heart while watching. It's a beautiful film. Oh, I'm so thankful. Thank you for sharing your heart because that's exactly what this film is about. It's the love for the land. It's a love for where my home is in the Southwest. It's a love for the river that I've been guiding down for over 20 years now. I mean, if I add it up, yeah, over 20 years, 25 years. Oh my gosh, time slips away. My biggest love is photography. So it, this film that I made encompasses all those things, like photography, the land, the river, and trying to protect it all. I give a little bit of myself back into this story. And the story is about this lovely man, Tad Nichols, which was one of Katie Lee's friends that was part of the We Three. So it was Katie, Tad, and Frank Wright. Frank Wright was the the boatman, and all three of them decided that they would make a pact and go down Glen Canyon and try to preserve it as much as possible before Glen Canyon was filled up by the water being dammed and then creating Lake Powell. So they decided to do maps and photography and songs and try to get people to notice Glen Canyon. So they were like the little keepers of, of Glen Canyon and trying to save it from being dammed. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But during this process, Tad is an incredible photographer, and he also was a filmmaker. He went down there for 13 years to document this beautiful canyon. And I'm going to tell you right now, me going back there is just like incredible. It is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It is probably one of the most gorgeous canyons I've ever seen. Just the little bit that's coming out. But anyway, so the reason I'm going back there is because it's finally reemerging. And this landscape is finally coming out. The walls are getting taller. The beautiful curves of the red wall are emerging. And so uh, my job right now is to go back and photograph these places. But I got very lucky and somehow got Tad's camera from 
one of my great friends, Richard Jackson, and this camera is a relic. It photographed Glen Canyon pre-dam. So I went back there post-dam and I got all these photographs and documented the reemergence of Glen Canyon. So that's the film. And we just premiered it at Banff. We had the world uh, premiere at the Banff Film Festival. And now I'm here coming back, <laughs> back down from Canada into Missoula and uh, seeing you and then continuing on and going to Salt Lake and going to the Glen Canyon Institute is, is going to do a little a screening there and then a photo exhibit of the photos. So it's like this project is everything. It's conservation, it's, it's photography, it's, it's running the river again that has um, returned. Um, it's all these facets of my life combined all into one. And it's just so bizarre that it's about Glen Canyon because it's always been a, a sore thorn in our side as river runners because we never thought we would ever see Glen Canyon emerge and we never thought we'd ever see it again because it was submerged under a watery tomb and now we get to go explore it so not just me but so many people are excited to see the Glen Canyon return Dawn, for someone listening who is having trouble imagining what Glen Canyon looks like because First of all, maybe the only picture they've ever seen of it was a reservoir. Can you paint the picture of, of what it looks like? Yeah, I guess I kind of didn't say the whole story, but Glen Canyon to me was just in a book and or just a song from Katie Lee or just in old-time movies, silent movies, you know, 16-millimeter movies that were silent. So I never got to see this place, so I was excited, and I couldn't wait. It's still a lake. I don't want to just discourage you from like, oh, it's back. No, it's slowly coming alive. And the little tidbits that I saw... They're similar to other slot canyons that you see in pictures like maybe of Antelope Canyon or other canyons like in Zion. So, of course, like the Southwest kind of like mimics, you know, mirrors each other a little bit. But I can tell that this place is a little bit more unique. So it has its own style. And Glen Canyon style is this more feminine canyon. Like Grand Canyon's more masculine looking. Jaggedy rocks and there's some there are some sensual places in Grand Canyon, but the overall picture of Grand Canyon is very ja- jaggedy. When you see Glen Canyon, it's very smooth, very flowy much more so than the Grand Canyon below it. And I can see why, because just being in Glen Canyon, the wind there just does not stop. And that's why it's probably so smooth and sensuous looking, because those carved walls are probably windswept more so than anything else. I love it there, but it is very dangerous. There's The wind can just come up, and I broke my tent 
for sure. So I'm gonna have to get a new tent. <laughs> but yeah, they're very different canyons. And it just has its own style. I don't know how to describe it, but you'll have to go and see. You weren't just in any boat. You were in a historic boat on one of the occasions, the Neville's. It's a replica of the 1930s Cataract Neville's boat. It's like a wooden dory. It's a kind of a strange uh, looking boat, but it's got a blunt end and a, with a pointy, we don't know <laughs> where the bow and where the stern is, but as, as far as I'm concerned, I think the bow is the blunt end and then the stern is the very sharp looking side of the boat. It's a very odd looking boat, but it that tracks really well. <laughs> the boat maker, Brad Demick, we came up with the idea to put a transom on it so that when I did hit the lake, I can put a motor on it and and get around without rowing for weeks and days and <laughs> and so on. So, yeah. But it was handy. It was a handy little boat. Really you also had a variety, a quiver of boats that you used, including a stand-up paddleboard to get in some of the tighter spots. Could mm-hmm. you just tell us a little bit more about that? And then I'd love to also share with someone listening who might not understand why there is no more water and why that's significant and maybe a little taste of the history of water in the West. The reason to go back to Glen Canyon is because the lake levels are so low, an all-time low, about a third of maximum capacity. But I didn't go there necessarily as a scientist. I went back there as a photographer, as an artist. I wanted to capture what I saw in books and films and make sure that I was being true to my craft. So for me to go through a historical water conservation, I can't really do that, but I can tell you what my observations were, what I documented, and what pulled me there. And what pulled me there was Tad Nichols had created a book in 1999, way after the the dam was created. In fact, he did this book right before he died. Like, it literally came out right before he died, like months. And it was one of my most favorite books that I saw of this place and just was always inspired wow, how could they possibly cover this place up? Well, and then also just cover up people's homes. And like, I was just devastated that anybody could possibly do that to such beauty. And that book I've had forever. I've had that book for over 20 years or whatever. And so finally, I might get a glimpse of what that book, might look like but really I mean it's still a lake and I haven't even really scratched the surface but I did explore pretty much from Waweep all the way to Height Marina up a few side canyons here and there I tried to do my best to cover a lot of ground but things like Hidden Passage is still underwater Twilight's still underwater Music Temple's still underwater So I'm just like seriously scratching the surface of this whole project. Wanted to create a film right away because I feel like it's it's like, wow, things are happening now. 
and things are happening fast. Like I've experienced a side canyon full of lake sediment and then come back the next week and it was all scoured out and plants started emerging. Beautiful cottonwood trees, little tiny ones are emerging. So it's trying to make a comeback. It's going to be you know, a while before it comes. But I'll tell you what, it's still like lots of water still. We have a long ways to go. Mother Nature still has a long ways to go. But this is this is the closest I can possibly get to to seeing Glen Canyon. I'm going to go. I have to go. I need to go. Like, that's what my heart told me to do. Looks like there was lots of mud that you were working hard to walk through just to tie your boat off. And then also what was pretty mysterious was all the sunken boats. Tell us about how you felt when you were seeing those boats that had once sunk and were now exposed. Did you get a visceral feeling from that? (laughs) I was just imagining these people partying on these boats. (laughs) They like hit something and they probably hit a rock under the water and then their boat went down. You know, I I just imagine, you know, people having a hoot nanny out there because... That's what people do, right? They go to the lake and they have a good time. They go party and and guess what? I mean, I'm sure I would probably do the same thing, but um, never... But sink your boat? No, probably be on Lake Powell partying, you know? Yeah. But I didn't because, like I said, it was like a thorn in our side. Mm -hmm. But if I wasn't a river runner, if I wasn't preserving our natural world, like we have to, we have to preserve our natural world or there's no other place for us to play mm-hmm. and and experience and and rejuvenate. So I knew I did fun hogging all my life. I was like, yay, snowboarding and mountain biking and hiking and camping and traveling and everything's so great all the time. Well, the reason they're great is because all these beautiful natural places are being preserved by other people that I had no idea. And then so when I learned finally in my older age, like, oh man, these places are around because other people are protecting it. Well, I changed my tune and realized like, I don't need to be taking photos for other people anymore. I need to be taking photos to protect these places. You know, I don't need to be taking photos to sell shoes or jackets anymore. What I need to be doing is taking photos to to protect these beautiful places and that's kind of how I feel about Glen Canyon too just like what if it gets covered up again what if what if there's a huge water year we don't know so I better go photograph whatever I can before it just disappears again I heard one scientist say that it would take 10 record snowpack years to get both lakes back up to their highest level but there's a lot of very interesting articles and in science out there regarding what's happening in the West and how it was all set up from the start in terms of water allocation between the upper and lower basin states. Uh, but that might be another podcast entirely. I would just like to talk to you for a moment about what you've learned regarding drought in the West and how water is being allocated and what the person listening could do in order to speak up on behalf of these resources? We are in a drought. We have climate change. And we have human consumption. 
So the combination of all those things, unfortunately, are affecting us and we have to realize how, how to change. That's what I know about the drought or that's what I know about water issues at the moment. Um, I don't have stats. I kind of actually feel like all those combinations of things is what's more important than stats. You know, what exactly is this drought? What exactly is climate change? What exactly is human consumption? But we're just taking too much from the land overall. And Mother Nature, she's going to be around where we probably will not be. We're just doing too much for what we can possibly sustain. So that's all I really know. And the other thing I know is how to protect these things is communication and connection. And most people will just kind of like glaze over and go, oh, I don't understand percentages and stats and all this kind of stuff. And then all that information just kind of goes through and off off their back, like kind of a duck, like off their back. And then Mm -hmm. the water just kind of goes over them. But if you connect people to the land with a heart and soul and a little bit less of, um, you know, more layman's terms or just a different connection than let's say you know the science journals or something like that what you need to do is just be like connect the people to the land and I think they'll respond appropriately but you can't do that without programs that will you know teach people how to bring them in to that fold well that's my job My job is to make sure I do these beautiful photos and bring people in and connect them as much as possible because they're not going to be able to connect without it. And we're such a visual world now that we need beautiful photos. We need beautiful films. We need people to go, wait, oh my God, that's going to be affected if I don't do this or that or, or if I don't just change my ways and turn off the tap more, or whatever it is, I don't care, just any little thing. Maybe I should donate my time to this organization or my money or, yeah. I'm hoping that art is effective enough to bring change. That is the voice of Dawn Kish. She is a filmmaker, photographer, and fellow river guide who's been down in the Grand Canyon since 1998. She's made two films recently who were featured at the Banff Mountain Film Festival. And Dawn, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on The Trail Less Traveled. Thank you. It's been an honor. Let's end your show with three bits of advice Mm. that you can share with whoever is listening out there. Okay, three bits of advice. I think that last segment was all about art and advocacy. So let's give a little advice about turning your artist on inside of you and expressing yourself. Don't be afraid to express yourself. And then also give back to Mother Nature. Um, so that's the art and advocacy part. 
And let's see the third one. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> Glen Canyon is one of America's and the world's greatest natural wonders. John Wesley Powell, who named Glen Canyon during his 1869 survey, described it as a land of beauty and glory. Edward Abbey wrote that Glen Canyon was a portion of Earth's original paradise. Wallace Stegner judged the Glen to be potentially a superb national park. In 1963, the diversion tunnels of Glen Canyon Dam were screwed shut, causing the waters of the Colorado River to back up 186 miles through Glen Canyon, forming Lake Powell. Built for political purposes, the dam was originally meant to provide a sustainable water supply to the arid southwest, but has since undermined that very objective and has caused massive collateral damage across the Colorado River Basin. Before the dam, Glen Canyon was a wonderland of gorges, spires, cliffs, and grottos. The biological heart of the Colorado River, with more than 79 species of plants, 189 species of birds, and 34 species of mammals, and a cultural treasure, with more than 3,000 ancient ruins. After the dam, Glen Canyon became known as the place no one knew and America's lost national park. Legendary conservationist David Brower lamented Glen Canyon died in 1963. Neither you nor I nor anyone else knew it well enough to insist that at all costs it should endure. Through its creation, Lake Powell and Glen Canyon Dam effectively destroyed the unique ecosystem of Glen and Grand Canyon with negative consequences reaching all the way to the Colorado Delta downstream. Designers of the 1922 Colorado River Compact, which determines allocation of the river's water, seriously overestimated actual future river flow, seriously underestimated future water demand, and did not foresee the impacts of climate change. These forces have resulted in a water deficit of almost 1 million acre-feet a year in the Colorado River Basin. Lake Powell and Lake Mead Reservoirs together have been hovering above Deadpool, and scientists predict that they will probably never fill again. In reality, we may be re-entering a low water period that has not been seen for the last 500 years. If the predictions of climate models are correct, the Colorado River water supply will continue to decrease. It is imperative for the sustainability of the West that our current inefficient water management system be altered. The remarkable potential for large-scale ecological restoration is already apparent. As Lake Powell Reservoir has declined, dozens of miles of the main canyon and hundreds of miles of side canyons have been exposed for the first time in decades. Ecosystems are healing. People are beginning to explore their emerging backcountry. There is also evidence that damage to the Grand Canyon's ecosystems can be substantially reversed. Temporary management changes that mimic natural river flows have partially replenished sediments and improved endangered fish habitats. Glen Canyon can be restored. We have a chance to address both the water supply and environmental crisis at the same time. 
Conservation is not a spectator sport. I encourage you to learn more, get engaged, and use your voice. Please speak up on behalf of these incredible resources. And with that, I want to say namaste, Missoula. This is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. The Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world in order to inspire and take the listener back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. The Trail Less Traveled is also an outreach program. We visit schools around the world, and in particular here in Missoula, in order to inspire the next generation through the sound of didgeridoo, the stories of cultures around the world, and giving back to our greatest natural resource, children. If you want to learn more about supporting these outreach programs and listen to some previous shows, you can check out the official website, traillesstraveled.net. That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please speak up on behalf of the resources that you love. Do something for Mother Earth and get outside and shred the gnar. As you know, the thing about the gnar is... It doesn't shred itself. I'd like to end this week's show by sharing some archived audio from Tad Nichols, who was the photographer who inspired tonight's guest, as well as Katie Lee, the goddess of Glen Canyon. Enjoy. Hundred and twenty-five side canyons, every one of them different. Every one of them with a personality of its own. We would go around a corner and spread out before us would be this incredible sight that A, nobody had ever seen before. B, nobody had touched it. C, it was utterly and incredibly beautiful. Everything was in the right positions. All the colors were perfect. All the senses came just flashing out. I mean, I could hear better. I could feel better. I could speak better. I, I, everything just was amplified. What was lost? <laughs> Eden. I don't think Eden could have touched Glen Canyon. Last night I lay in a restless bed A humdrum life pounding in my head When out of the night came a mighty roar The river calling me back once more My heart knows what the river knows I gotta go where the river goes Restless river, wild and free The lonely ones are you and me Today I know your magic call Will lead me back to the canyon wall And the music in your rapids roar Makes this boatman's song from his soul outpour My heart knows what the river knows I gotta go where the river goes 
restless river, wild and free, the lonely ones are you and me. Tonight as on your banks I sleep, like a woman soft you will sigh and weep, and I will dream of a sweet warm kiss, and a moonlit stream, and the love I miss. My heart knows what the river knows, I gotta go where the river goes, restless river, wild and free, the lonely ones are you and me. Before I'm old and gray, I'll find a woman who'll go my way. She'll take the rapid strong with me, and she'll blend her voice in a song with me. My heart knows what the river knows. I gotta go where the river goes. Restless river, wild and free, the lonely ones are you. The first trip was Frank Wright down San Juan River and into Glen Canyon. So I was so intrigued with Glen Canyon and the beauty of it that for the next at least seven or eight years I borrowed, begged, or stole a boat of some kind. And almost every summer I went down through Glen Canyon each year exploring a different side canyon. And each one was different and each one was extraordinary. And I had just never really thought such a place in the world existed. We took as many photographs as we could. We took a lot of stereo, color stereo pictures, which have turned out to be invaluable and simply marvelous. You look at those now, and it almost brings tears to your eyes to see this stuff. And so now, and even when the lake started to fill up, we got a powerboat and went in every place that we could where we had not been able to get very far in previous years along the river. So we got added footage, added pictures. I took no movies, just, just black and white and still and color slides. I was so busy with movies for, for Frank Wright in the years 51 and 52 and 53, 51 and 52, that I didn't have too much chance to enjoy the canyon. This, this trip, I have sat back and really looked and just, just soaked the place up. I enjoyed it immensely, just watching these beautiful rock formations come by. And they're just almost mind-blowing, these cliffs. The river rats are off once more through canyons grim and deep. The mighty leader mans the oars while waves above us leap. The angry river takes its toll when boatmen lack his skill. But a river run with this brave son is a ne'er forgotten thrill. Rapids ahead. 
of hardy souls to make this run a treat. With boats designed by Norm himself and wholesome food to eat. An evening campfire on the shore when darkness closes in. A bed that's sound upon the ground beneath the canyon rim. Life grows dull and memories tales are spun We'll think of Norm and his brave crew and friends who shared our fun And when St. Peter asks us why we claim an entrance there We've run the river sticks with boatman Norm we will declare Rapids ahead are supposed to run. They're not supposed to be dammed up. They're healthy that way. They feed the planet. It's like the veins in your arm full of blood. Okay, you dam them up, what do you get? An aneurysm. And that's what these rivers have. Aneurysms, poor things. <laughs>